Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this day, and Lord, we just ask that you would take each part of this service, use it to your honor, to your glory. Lord, we ask that you would take each of our hearts today, that we would willingly offer them to you, for you to take and to mold and to shape as you would. Lord, we pray that we would worship you today, that we would lift up your name, and Lord, we would allow ours to be pushed down just a little bit more. We pray that you would deal with our pride and our arrogance and our thoughts about ourselves and what we shall do. And Lord, we pray that you would change it into thoughts of serving you and surrender of our lives to your precious will. We ask for your direction and your blessing that we may serve you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to turn to a very familiar verse this morning. We're going to kind of just jump off there and dive into God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 6 and uh, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Some of you have this verse memorized, and this is one that you should put in your heart and in your soul. Uh, it's everyone's there. Let's just read this together. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now let's all read out loud together. Read with me. We'll read it slowly so we get all the words very carefully. Here we go. All together now. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I want to challenge you as we start this morning that the majority of your life and your effort, if you are a normal, everyday human being, is going to be spent on all these things. That's what we spend our time doing, is it not? Well, you say, well, what are all these things? Well, you read the beginning part of the chapter. It's the food you eat. It's the clothes you wear. It's the place you live. It's all of the things that your life consists of. Now, how many of you would like to go hungry for a week? Okay, I don't see any hands. Good, we're in the right place. You know, there are some people out there that, that really think that well, if bad things happen to me, it's got to be good. Now, that's not from the Bible, my friend. Nor is this idea that just because God loves me, everything that happens to me is going to be good either. Because neither one of those is reality, now is it? Life is not the absence of problems. It's God's strength to overcome them. Amen? Life is not just this uh, fairy godmother showing up and solving all your problems. I hope I'm not popping anybody's bubble here. We've got the little children downstairs, but you ain't got no fairy godmother. I'm sorry. Uh, and if you think your guardian angel's going to show up and solve all your problems, you're, you're still not in the Bible. God is the one that solves your problems. That's the only place you're going to find a solution. And we spend so much time on all these things that we don't have anything left over to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
Now, I hate to describe this sermon this way, but it's the best way to get everybody on track. It's a kind of a schizophrenic sermon this morning, all right? Because we've got two ideas here that are really opposing, yet they go right together. You see, we read what it says here in the Bible. And if we were to take a poll or if we were to talk to people, I, I would say that the vast majority of us here this morning would say, Pastor, I agree with you. I need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I need to let God take care of all these things instead of doing it the other way around. How many of you would agree with me on that? Okay, I got four. Can we try this again? Uh, I thought this was going to be easy. Now, if you don't agree with me, there's a place to get that fixed at the end of the service, all right? But, but the Bible does say that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is where God is the king. It's the area of his authority. One of these days, and it could be just a little over seven years from today, Jesus is going to have his physical kingdom here upon this earth. No believer of this book called the Bible has ever picked up a physical weapon and fought for that kingdom. Peter tried, but Jesus fixed that in the Garden of Gethsemane real quick. He didn't do a very good job. I think he was aiming for a little more than the guy's ear, but that's all he got in the garden. Jesus immediately healed him and told Peter, that's not what my kingdom is. He told Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, he said, you'd be the first one on the list, but you're not on my list because my kingdom isn't from here. What did he say in Luke chapter 17? Behold, not here or there, for lo, behold, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. Now, if we were to stop and take toll and, and, and reckon last week, deed by deed, hour by hour, how much of our past week was God on the throne and we were submissive and part of his kingdom, and how much time were we just trying to take care of all things? Now, that's a scary thought now, isn't it? This is the answer. You see, I have to seek first his kingdom where he's in control, where it's his authority, where I am being obedient. And by the way, God's kingdom is not a kingdom of force and suppression. God's kingdom is a kingdom that is based upon love and his subjects willingly submit themselves to his authority. Amen? And, don't forget, and you got to seek first the kingdom of God. But if you're going to seek God's kingdom, the second thing you're going to seek is you're going to seek God's righteousness. That's what makes God's kingdom such a wonderful place, is it's the only place on the face of the earth where men willingly do good to other human beings. Everywhere else they got an excuse. I feel sorry for people who are trying to be good enough to please God. Trying to work their way to heaven. You ever stopped and thought about that? I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Because most of the people I meet 
find themselves in that category. And, and they say, listen, um, you know, I'm just doing the best I can and, and, and I'm trying to get to heaven and I, I do good deeds. Well, just a minute. If I am going to get to heaven by doing good deeds, then I really need you to have a lousy life. Because how am I going to do good deeds if you're living perfectly fine on your own? So when you have a lousy life, I get to help you and earn enough points to get me to heaven and thanks for helping me on my way. That is the theology. Now, you'll never ever hear one of those preachers with the collar on backwards and some of the funny stuff they wear and all of that saying that out loud because it would make them look very selfish, arrogant, and foolish. But if I'm going to heaven by the things I do, I need you to have a lousy life so I can have something good to do. That's why it's not that way, it's God's way. You see, I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm free to help other people because I'm already on my way to heaven. I don't have to earn it. I don't need your problems to get me closer to God. By the way, that's why you don't have to tell me all your sins. You can tell them right to God. Amen? Because he's the one that solves the problem. Now, this is the verse. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you will do that in your life, it says, All these things shall be added unto you. Now, here's where we get a little weird here, so stay with me. Think hard this morning. I think we're going to make this transition here. Um, how many of you need a break? Would you raise your hand? I mean, how many of you could use, here's the word I want to use, how many of you could use just a little escape from the pressures of this life? I got more hands on that than seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is getting scary this morning. But I don't know about you, but the last couple of weeks have been pretty busy around the Montoro house. And the pressure is, it, it, it can be felt. And I'll tell you, as the pressure builds, what do we need? We want an escape now, don't we? But how do I get an escape by seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Well, you see, the pressure comes from trying to take care of all these things. If I'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, it says Jesus will take care of all these things. But it's a whole lot easier to worry about all these things than it is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are we together? And so what we want to do is we want to explore this idea of escape. But seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
You see, when we think of escaping, we normally think of someone who's in prison and getting out. Did you hear about that fellow that kicked the door off the van as they were transporting him to a prison? I think it was somewhere in the Midwest, some mafia guy, and uh, he escaped, but they caught him. I'm glad they caught him, aren't you? And, but I'm going to tell you, there's some things you just can't escape. There's some things you're not going to get away from unless God intervenes. And that's why we need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Why don't you turn with me to Romans chapter 2. The first thing you're not going to escape is your sin. Now, if I were to ask this this morning, in fact, let's just ask it. Do everyone here, if you have sinned against God this past week, will you please join me and raise your hand and admit that publicly that I have sinned? Okay, if you're alive, you need to raise your hand. Otherwise, you're just adding another sin to it. Now, aren't you? You're just lying. If you can't be honest in church... Well, Pastor, I didn't kill anybody this week. Well, I hope you didn't kill anybody last week either, amen? Uh, or never. But you don't have to murder somebody to commit sin, my friend. All you have to do is repeat somebody else's lie. It's called gossip. You just sin. All you have to do is allow yourself to be angry for the wrong reasons. Allow your mind to wander down some dark path somewhere. Think things that no one else knows you're thinking. You've still sinned in your heart. God reads all these things. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Now, when you're in total agreement with the preacher, you're supposed to say, Amen. But when you get convicted, you can say, Oh me. Now, how many of you would join me, Oh me, when we read verse 1? I mean, we're in trouble now, aren't we? It says that we're inexcusable, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such thing. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such thing, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? I want, I want to tell you this morning, it's my duty as a preacher to tell you that's not going to happen. There is no person who has ever lived that is going to escape God's judgment. Now, this isn't popular preaching. We, we like this idea, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, but we really... When it comes down to brass tacks, when it comes down to changing our behavior, we don't like it. But there's, there's some reasons why we have to do that. 
heard the story of a man who was overcome with his own guilt and he just looking at his life and, and the worthlessness of the things that he had done. And, and if you were to look at his life, you would, you would think he was a pretty normal guy. He actually had some good accomplishments, but inside he knew that there was nothing there that was going to sustain him. And, and he made a choice that very childish, but he decided he'd run away. And so he packed a bag and he began his journey. And he finally got to a place where there were no other human beings. He said, finally, I've escaped. And he sat down to relax in the beauty of his location. And those same thoughts and those same problems that he had where he was before, he found out they followed him right to where he was. And his story was that he, he just started running until he couldn't run anymore. And he fell down on the sand of the beach and he began just putting his hand forward and clawing and pulling himself until he was so exhausted and he couldn't move anymore. And he said, I finally turned over and began to pray and I looked up and he said, God, I can't get past myself. Everywhere you go, you take yourself with you. We can give so many stories from history. Some of the most depraved and darkest corners of human history happened in religious places where people tried to escape the world. Please don't make a study of the monasteries. It is a testament to human depravity. Because you can't escape your sin. Because your heart goes with you everywhere you go. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Let me be very clear. Except for the intervention of God, you cannot escape your sin. You cannot let go of your sin. You cannot have victory over your sin. Oh, yes, you can reform certain parts of your life. You know what? I'm glad for every person that used to be a drunkard that goes to AA and stops drinking. But that won't get you to heaven. I'm glad when people stop using drugs. That's good. But that's not the only sin in your life. It is not the only thing that is separating between you and God. It is not the only thing that God is going to judge you for on Judgment Day. God is a perfectly holy God and He will judge every sin that has ever been sinned. We live in a day 
Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you would. That's one of those little books. might be a little harder to find. If you get to the Timothys, you've gotten too far. If you're still in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, need to go a little further. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. It says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You know, we live in a day where people preach peace and safety, do we not? Everything we hear about, we're safer than we've ever been. I don't believe them. And because the peace and safety I'm looking for cannot be bought, cannot be protected. And I know the third stanza of the Marine hymn says that God's going to have them guarding the pearly gates. But the pearly gates aren't in heaven, number one. They're in the New Jerusalem and God won't need the Marine Corps. He can take care of it by himself. Amen? Now, you're talking to someone. I, may, I had to make a choice. I had to choose between the Marine Corps and Bible College. I guess you know which one I chose. Uh, sometimes I, uh, I still wish I could have done both, but the Lord said no. So I'm not trying to disparage the Marine Corps. What I am trying to do is tell you, God doesn't need human intervention. But he is going to judge every sin. And I don't care how much you protect yourself. I mean, we, we try to protect ourselves. I mean, we try to be very careful as a church. In the nursery, we go around and we put all those special little things in the plugs. And we, and we make sure that the beds are good and everything is just the way. Because we don't want anybody getting hurt. That's just normal human things, Right? You ought to do that. But if there's going to be any real protection, it's got to come from God. The world cries peace and safety. Let me tell you, you cannot escape from your sin unless God himself intervenes. That's the reason why Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took God's judgment for every person's sin See, God's not sweeping it under the carpet. He's not planning to say, well, you were a good boy, so we'll just kind of forget that one. God doesn't forget anything. He's perfect in His justice and in His judgment. No person escapes. The only way you can get past God's judgment is by allowing Jesus Christ to endure His judgment for your sins. You say, that's not fair. Yeah, I'm sure glad it's not fair. How about you? I am sure glad God is not the God of fair. He's the God of justice. He said, I'll let Jesus pay the price for your sins for you. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. You see, you will not escape sin. No matter how far you run, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. But if you'll let Jesus... Take your sin. You can escape. 
when you are tempted, if you will take God's escape, you will not have to sin. The devil loves to put you in a place where you think you have to sin to get out of it. Well, if I just, you know, I only had two choices. I, only could, I could sin a little here or sin a whole lot more over here, and so I chose to sin a little. Isn't that better, Pastor? No, that's a false choice. God will never put you in a position where you have to choose to sin. Never, ever. The only time a Christian has to choose the better of two evils is when they're in the election booth. But, accepting that place... You never have to choose sin because God's made a way that you can escape. It's through His Son. That's the only way you can escape. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How are we going to escape? if we neglect God's salvation. You know, one of the saddest things to me, and, and, and it's just part of our society today, is uh, that doesn't apply to me. Oh, pastor, that's your truth. Uh, no, it cannot be my truth. If I can own it, then it is not truth. If it belongs to me, and to me alone, it is not truth. Truth does not need to be proven. That's why we don't argue with the evolutionist. Because what the Bible says is truth. Oh yes, we can show the foolishness of evolution. It is the best that man's mind can invent. But it's full of holes. It's full of faulty reasoning. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's pathetic. But here's what the Bible says. If we neglect God's salvation, we're not going to escape. Now, this salvation was a great salvation. You go to any religion, on, and you pick your religion... You can go to the Buddhist, you can go to the, to the mysticist, you can go to the guy that sits in a cave, you can uh, talk to the Hindu, you can go to the uh, Catholic Church, you can go to the Orthodox Church, you can talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses, you can go to any Mormons. You pick your religion. Now they're going to argue all day long about who has the right list of do's and don'ts 
But they're going to give you a list of things that you need to do to earn your way to heaven. Now, if I have salvation, if it is my possession, then what do I have to do to go to heaven? There's nothing left. Well, well wait a minute, where's the list of do's and don'ts? Uh, there is no list of do's and don'ts for the Christian. Because Jesus did it all. That's how we escape. But if you neglect what Jesus did on the cross, then there is no escape. You say, but what do I do today? I mean, uh, I mean there are things that a Christian is supposed to do. Yeah, we're having a baptism today. But see, the water isn't going to get that person one bit closer to heaven. They already have salvation. That's something that God did. You see, that's how we escape our sin. That's how we escape God's eternal judgment in a place called hell. How shall we escape? Well, you're not going to if you neglect God's salvation. But if you accept it, guess what? He's going to let you escape. Let's go back to our first verse. You see... I've got to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How do I seek that kingdom? Number one, I bring my sin to God because He's the only guy, He's the only one that can forgive my sin. Amen? I accept His salvation because if I neglect it, there will be no escape. Yes, everyone on the face of the earth is crying peace and safety today. But did you read that verse? That verse was written almost 2,000 years ago. It says they're going to say peace and safety, but sudden destruction is coming. Let me tell you something we have on the face of the earth today enough weapons to destroy the entire universe. We can blow this thing apart. But you know what? The Bible says that's not the way it's going to happen. Man is not going to destroy what God created. Oh, there's going to be an awful lot of people die for it's all over. Read the book of Revelation. Somewhere around three quarters of the world's population is going to die in a period of less than seven years. That's four and a half billion people. You can't bury four and a half billion people in seven years. Let me tell you that. There's not enough dirt. It is going to be a time that you cannot, the human mind cannot comprehend. God Himself said, if it were not for the very elect, for those that are going to believe me, I, if those days were shortened, there would be no flesh saved. I wonder why Al Gore doesn't write about that in his book. Oh, excuse me. But see... If we will accept his salvation, we will escape. And we'll be able to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, not because we're trying to earn our way to heaven, but because he paid for it for us. That's the motivation of the Christian life. 
It's not fear. It's love. Amen? You want to hear God is love? God is love that He sent His Son to die in my place. God is so much love that He gives me a chance to escape His judgment for what I have done by accepting His salvation. Let's just go back in the book of Hebrews to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at the last few verses of this chapter. Verse 25 is where... Well, let's read verse 24. It says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, see that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promising yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Did you get the words that are spoken here? We could spend the next month of Sundays just on these few verses, but simply it says, you better not refuse what God said. God spoke from earth. He came down on top of Mount Sinai and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But in these last days, the book of Hebrews starts, Jesus Christ came down and walked among us and spoke to us the words of God from heaven. Listen, God created this planet. When he spoke from Mount Sinai, it said the whole mountain shook and trembled. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And it says, How shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? There's an awful lot of life that can be summed up in one word. Wasted. Meaningless. Empty. Isn't that right? Why is it that way? Because we're trying to take care of all these things. And let me tell you, if you got everything the world had to offer, Jesus said, it wouldn't buy you one second of heaven. What doth a profit if a man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? How many of you have heard the story of Paganini, the great violinist? Anybody remember that story? His dad, his father was a, a drunken abuser. And he immediately recognized in his little son the ability to be a musical genius. And he locked him in a room and said, you're going to become 
the greatest violin player, I'm going to beat you to death, basically. The story is that in those abused and darkened mind of that little child as he began to grow, he sold his soul to the devil to become the greatest violinist that ever lived. He has written music that no living human being can play. He wrote it. They say that sometimes when he played his violin, the more sensitive people would shriek in fear and go running out of the concert hall because of the spirit that was in some of his music. They say the day he died, he began playing the violin louder and more frantically until it reached an incredible crescendo and then he just dropped dead. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, and he has the accolades of this world. I mean, there, like I said, there's music that he's written that people can't even play. It's amazing. He had it. But how many want Paganini's life? I don't. How many of you want Donald Trump's riches and all the alimony payments and everything else that comes with it? Is there such a thing as a happy celebrity? I mean, the only time that they're happy is when their face is on the front of some stupid magazine that you have to look at while you're in the checkout line at the grocery store and... The only way you get on there is by doing something stupid. I mean, Larry King. How long are you going to live, man? You couldn't put up with her for a couple more years? Come on. What are you afraid of losing? They're not going to bury it with you. I want my life to mean something. And the only way your life can mean anything is if you will use it to serve God. Here's what it says. Wherefore, verse 28, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This verse here, for our God is a consuming fire, is not meant to frighten unsaved people into believing in God. It is meant to put the fear of God in those that have trusted Him to give their lives to His service. The only way that happens is by seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. You see... If you want to escape from the pressures of this life, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. If you want to escape your sin, you come before the King with your sin and give it to Him. You say, but I thought I was supposed to clean myself up first. No, wait a minute. 
How many of you that are saved here today will give testimony to the fact that you cannot clean yourself up, that only God can do that? Would you say amen to that? Only God can give us victory over sin. If you want to escape your sin and the guilt and all of the things that you have done, come to the king. Submit to his authority. That's what mercy is all about. If you want to escape God's judgment, and I know some preachers have preached on hell and used it as a club to beat people over the head with. But let me tell you, hell's a real place. Jesus spoke about hell more than he did about heaven. He said, it's a place that if you had a choice between missing hell and cutting off your right leg, he said, cut off your leg. If you could miss hell by poking out your right eye, he said, do it, do it today. Now, he's using what we call hyperbole because your leg won't keep you out of heaven and your eye won't keep you out of heaven. It's that heart that works them that's the problem. And the only way you can get that fixed is by bringing it to the king. That's what means seeking first his kingdom, amen? And his righteousness. How do I seek his righteousness? By serving him. But how do I serve God? Well, it says here, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. We've got to go to God and we've got to get His grace so we can live our life His way. And that's how we'll escape this meaningless, dead-end life and have a life that's going to mean something for all eternity. God is a great God. Now what's the question is simply this. Are you carrying your sin? Or have you brought it to Jesus and asked him to take it away? Are you trying to do enough good to please God? Or... Are you trusting only in Him for your salvation? The prayer of the publican was simply this, God be merciful to me a sinner. In that prayer, he admitted his sin. He said, I'm not trying to hide it. I'm a sinner. Right there it is. But God, you've got to be merciful to me. I'm asking for your mercy. I am submitting to the authority of your kingdom. That's salvation. Then I seek his righteousness by getting grace from him and living. You know what? If I am obedient to this book called the Bible, I'll know that my life has not been in vain. We could talk about legacy seeking and those who want one. But I think we've said enough about that. Those that seek to have themselves elevated in the eyes of men often ended up, end up being the most despised of men. Because they've got to have your problems so they can look good. Jesus doesn't need your problems. 
but he's the only one that can fix them. And if you'll come to him, he'll let you escape. You see, taking a vacation is not going to allow you to escape from anything because it's all there when you come back. You cannot take a vacation from your heart. Uh, If you do, it will be short-lived. Trust me. But if you'll come to Jesus, you can escape. You can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And guess what? God will take care of all these things. The question is, what are you doing with your life? If you're trying to take care of all these things, let me tell you, you're not going to escape. The Bible's very clear. If you'll come to him and surrender your life to God. Now, I'm not trying to trick anybody into anything. Surrendering your life to God means some things. You might have to give up a few things. I I don't think you can serve God and spend time with your friends at the bar every night. The Bible's pretty clear about that. You cannot serve God and be loved and accepted by everything that goes on in the world. They're two opposite places. You've got to choose where you're going to go. You say, it's easy for you, Pastor. Your decision is made. Yes, my decision was made when I was an 11-year-old boy. And I'll tell you what, now that I'm, let me add this up here. Yeah, 45. I'm more glad I made the decision all those years ago than I was when I made it because I understand a little more about life. And you could talk to my preacher who's been living for the Lord for 60-some years and getting ready to go home, and he'll tell you the only regrets that I ever have is what I did before I was a Christian. The question is, will you surrender to God? Salvation is an event. It happens the moment you put your faith and trust in Him. Then you can get grace to seek His righteousness, and then He'll take care of all things. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, our first prayer this morning is for those that are among us that may not truly understand or do understand that they are unsaved. Lord, our prayer is that today would be the day of salvation. And if that's not possible because of human nature and things that need to be dealt with, that, Lord, this time here this morning would be another step closer to the truth of God and escape from your judgment. Lord, we pray that you'll do your work in these hearts and lives. Lord, our second prayer this morning is for those that are among us that are saved. Lord, that we would not just hear the words of this sermon and and say, Ah, yes, I've escaped God's judgment. I've escaped sin. I can. But Lord, you would use this sermon to challenge us to remember that our God is a consuming fire, that what he is doing is eternal.
and that we would live for you in the light of eternity. We pray that you would help us to lay down the distractions and the other things that will keep us from running that race. Lord, we pray that you would challenge each soul here today to live more in obedience to your word. That's what worship is. Lord, we pray that we would dedicate ourselves to it today and live in it each day of this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take our hymn books this morning.